The NBA Finals are well underway. What do the Bucks need to do to catch up to the scorching hot suns? Plus, news of Donovan not wanting to return, we debunk these jazz myths and more. And of course, Utah football coming up means more talk about the college football playoff expansion and what's to come for the Utes. That's all coming up right now on The Thatcher Effect. Five, four, three, two. You're listening to The Thatcher Effect with your hosts, Nate Thatcher and Richie Osler. The NBA Finals are no joke. This is where we separate the pretenders from contenders. Get some skin in the game with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. They are offering free-to-play pools every day of the basketball playoffs, offering players a free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes each day. The best part is that it's free to play. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code TBPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings pool page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code TBPN. For limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. Welcome to another episode of The Thatcher Effect. We're super excited to be here. Obviously with summer in full swing, sports news in terms of basketball and football is a little rare. But we're glad that the NBA Finals are playing so late because of the condensed schedule. Which brings up the topic of the Bucks and Suns, a finals matchup, again, that none of us would have predicted at the beginning of the season, especially in terms of the Suns. But these two games um, have felt a little bit different than finals games in the past. Obviously, with the Suns team that's coming from a no playoff appearance in a decade to now up 2-0 in the NBA Finals, they've made their mark on this league. These first two games were a little bit different, but at the same time, I felt like the Bucks kept it close. There were just some small things that held them back. I think the first game, you look at the stats, it's a very similar put out from both teams. Um, Bucks shot better in certain areas than the Suns. Uh, honestly, what it came down to was Chris Paul being a, a leader in that first game, as well as free throws. I don't think I've ever seen a bigger disparity in terms of free throw stats in the as important game as that finals game was free throws it was suns made 25 of 26 the last one being a miss by jay crowder at the very end so they were basically 100 percent. and the bucks i think at halftime had only shot four uh by the end of the game they had shot 16 but most of them have come from Giannis, which we know Giannis has a uh he has a he he's known for his free throws i guess is what i should say um, Richie, what have you seen from these first two games between the Bucks and the Suns? What stands out to you from, from what's gone on? So, um, what I was saying is the last time that there have been, um, as large of a disparity between the free throws, um, cause you were kind of talking about the free throws. And so the last time there's been as large of a disparity between, um, two teams, free throws was in 2000 with the Suns and the, um, the Pacers and the Lakers. 
And that's because the Lakers had Shaq. And Shaq was averaging 38 points per game that final series, but he's also shooting a lot of free throws. So I think that like is something that the Bucks will look to address and um, get better at in probably this offseason. Um, another thing the Bucks need is they need three consistent scorers. And um, I think Giannis has exceeded expectations. Um, I think his his recovery from a potential ACL injury to be able to come in game one and play like a monster, have a monster block, um, have great dunks and be in the right spot. And honestly, Giannis is having an incredible series. Um, I think he deserves all the credit in the world. Um, Chris Middleton had a decent game one, um, but their third scorer, who in my opinion should be Drew Holiday, just hasn't been good enough. And partly that's Drew Holiday's decision-making and um, his shot selection. He just hasn't been, a, hasn't been making the right shots um, and he's forcing a lot of stuff and it just hasn't been working out for the Bucks. So between that and like Giannis's uh, decision to shoot a three every every three plays, you know, I feel like they're they're not as an efficient offense as they should be, and it's creating a lot of problems because at the end of the day, you can't expect Brook Lopez to have another performance like he did versus the Hawks, and you can't expect PJ Tucker to hit every corner three or even get a lot of corner threes, and so they really just are missing that third scorer, and. I feel like the Suns have that. They have Chris Paul, who's been great. They have Devin Booker, who is more than capable scorer. And in game one, they had DeAndre Ayton's great performance. And DeAndre Ayton was, I feel like, their third scorer that game one. And I feel like that's the real difference between these two teams. If Milwaukee had one more guy that could just score, then I feel like this series would be more neck and neck than it is right now. Yeah, I feel the exact same way. I know you tweeted about uh, Drew Holiday's decision-making, I think before game one. So I was taking a look at that when I was watching the game because I wanted to pay attention to that. And especially with his shot selection, I could very much see where you were coming from. As well as the we've seen, especially as Jazz fans, is that it's a very different team when you have three prominent scorers on your offense. I felt like during the Jazz season when Conley... Mitchell and then someone else that could step up if you had three really prominent scorers then the game was basically in the books with the Bucks for most of that game one it was Lopez trying to will them back into it with a bunch of threes and I was like well this isn't sustainable in the long run and I agree with you that I think Holiday really has to be that guy and there has to be a way to change up their offense a little bit because like you said Giannis has made especially in I think throughout the entire course of the playoffs has made some shot selections that I just question because I know that that's not what his game truly is. Because like we saw in the third quarter last night in game two, when he just goes off, you see the potential he has when he actually makes the shot. He chooses the shots that he's really good at. Um, I think he had one of the best quarters in the in finals history. I believe he scored 20. Yeah. Which yeah. is insane. Dude went off. And it also just showed with how much the Bucks we're really trying to get back into it. That just shows the power of the Suns. I think last night as well, they made a, a franchise record 23s. Every time that the Bucks made a punch, the Suns hit back. And something that I like about their offense as well is just like you said, I think it's the emergence of DeAndre Ayton, especially in this entire playoff series. Coming from a Jazz perspective, 
we love Rudy is amazing, but there's like a flexibility with Aiton because of how mobile he is. Like he can just move in the paint. He doesn't have, I feel like that kind of slowness that Rudy has sometimes when he gets the ball down low. Um, and I just love the way how quick he's playing, how fast he's playing. And it just seems like he's set a high level of expectation for himself in terms of how he's playing. Has has the Suns team surprised you in the finals after looking at past series, or are they just playing how you expected them to play? Um, honestly, they're playing kind of how I expected them to play. Um, one surprise for me in game two was Mikkel Bridges and his emergence. Um, he had 27 points, seven rebounds. Um, he was super efficient, uh, eight of 15 from the field, and he also shot eight free throws. Um, Mikkel Bridges was a stud that game his defense and his offense. I feel like he was exactly who the Bucks wanted Chris Middleton to be that game. And that's kind of funny because Chris Middleton had a really bad game. Um, so, I mean, that was kind of a surprise to me. I feel like the performance that the Suns are getting from Chris Paul and Devin Booker has been consistent basically the entire playoffs. And that's why they've been so good is their consistency. Um, the fact that they've, just had a lot of more continuity than almost any other team um, with regard to injuries and stuff like that. Um, and I think that's really going to help. That's really helped them in the long run. Um, one thing that has also surprised me about the Suns is how good their defense is. Um, I think their offense is what's being kind of highlighted because their offense is great. It's super efficient. They're able to attack, attack the basket. Um, from mid-range with two excellent mid-range scorers, and they're also able to get plenty of corner threes and threes all around the board. Um, but looking at their defense, they're also doing great on defense. Um, I feel like they're really scheming against the Bucks. and credit to Monty Williams, I think he is winning this coaching battle by miles. Um, and honestly, like the Suns, they didn't make a ton of adjustments from game one to game two, but they just kind of played their brand of basketball and it's working and it's working so well. Um, so I think credit to the Suns all around. I think the Bucks can give better performances in games three and four. And you're going to have to watch Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. Um, I think they'll play different at home. I think, um, you know, you have the crowd behind you. I think that helps a lot. Playing in Phoenix, it seems like it's brutal. Those fans seem crazy and it's so loud there. Um, and it, it looks like just one heck of a playoff environment. And so I kind of think that that factors into why Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday had a really bad game too. And I think you're going to kind of see this Bucks team bounce back games three and four and hopefully take it back tied um, when they go back to Phoenix. Um, but I don't know. It's I hope it's a long series. I hope this isn't over in four or five. Because I think that there is still a lot of good playoff basketball on both these teams. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Especially with the way that both of these teams have played coming up to this point. I think it's only fair for the rest of us fans to get a really good finals appearance from both of them. Speaking of defense, I also just wanted to point out, Jay Crowder in the first game did not have a good offensive start. Um, throughout the entire game, just didn't play well at all. But his defense amazed me. He was doing so good on the switches because I felt like a lot of time he was getting switched on what I thought would be mismatches with Lopez. I mean, sometimes he was going up against Giannis, but he just really had a determination about him. Dude was physical down low, had a few strips, a few takeaways. 
And I think he finished with one of the biggest plus minus um, scores of that game. So he really had an impact on that team in terms of de- in terms of defense. So I think that the Suns team, and I, I think I've talked about this before, they've really just found their certain roles and they just play to what they know they can do to help this team win. And I think that's what brings back to what you were talking about with consistency. What do you think that the Bucks have to do coming up in games three and four? Is there anything defensively or offensively they have to do differently in order to get this game three win? Um, shot making. <laughs> I mean, simple, simple. It, it, it's pretty simple. Um, looking at the plus minus, Giannis was a plus one in a game that they lost by thirteen in game one, and um, in game two he was also a plus while nobody else was a plus. Um. He was plus three in game two in a game that they lost by 10. So you look at Giannis, he's doing everything he needs to do. Um, I think his defense has been spectacular. And really, they just kind of have to try to capitalize around that. Um, some minutes that I feel like are hurting the Bucks are Bryn Forbes and Jeff Teague. They're not able to defensively stay on Devin Booker or Chris Paul. And, I mean, those are two really hard guards. Um, so, I mean... Looking at the Bucks, they just don't have as much depth as the Suns. I feel like the Bucks right now are about seven guys deep with Bobby Portis and Connaughton on the bench. Um, and I think if they had DiVincenzo, he would be a great third defender, um, but they don't have him. So, um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what they try to do, if they try to do anything differently. Um, Budenholzer has kind of had the mentality – um, that they're going to do the entire, they're going to do the same thing for the entire playoffs and credit where credit is due. They've gotten this far. Um, and they've been playing their brand of basketball. And I still think that the bucks aren't getting the most out of their offense. I think that if they want to be a future contender, that they'll have to make a transition to Giannis at the five, but obviously that's kind of a hard transition right now. when Brooke Lopez is one of your five best players. Um, so, I mean, I kind of think that the Bucks are just going to st- keep playing their brand of basketball. Um, if they win those Bryn Forbes and Jeff Teague minutes, I think they win the game. Um, if they don't win those minutes, then I think Suns win. Yeah, because I think just like we were saying is that it's it felt like a lot of times that the, the Bucks were trying to will themselves back, especially in game two. It just felt like the Suns just came back with a bigger punch that just kind of extended that lead once again. So I'm super excited for game three. I really hope they make adjustments that can help them win that because like you said, it, I think it should be a really good finals for all of us because both these teams deserve it. I think when it came down to like the final four teams, I was like, man, I'm kind of rooting for all these teams because they haven't seen the championship in a long time, which is awesome. I think the NBA really needed this. Uh, but going into a little bit of jazz news, there's been a ton over these past few weeks since we did our last episode, stuff that's gone on. Um, and luckily in the Twitter sphere, we're able to catch up a little bit. I wanted to get your opinion. We, we've talked about this off the air, so I wanted to have everyone else listen uh, to what was going on. I know there was just a ton of drama, especially with what went down in the front office. Uh, Dennis Lindsay goes back into goes into a more of an advisory role and sends day-to-day operations more to, to Zanuck. So what, what did you get from a lot of rumors about now there's disparity between the locker room and the front office. And now people are saying, well, Donovan doesn't want to play with the jazz. He doesn't want to suit up for the jazz next season. 
What are your What are your thoughts on these comments by people around the league? Dude, I think it's hilarious. Um, I think that's funny that people are saying this. I saw an Instagram post today that was saying um, Dwayne Wade, the owner of the Jazz. It says Dwayne Wade, the owner of the Jazz, says Donovan Mitchell wants out. Like, where did you get that from? Did you get that from Ryan Windhorst in his podcast where he talks about it for like three minutes and doesn't even say any of that? Um, so I thought that was I thought it's really funny. Um, I don't think Donovan would have signed a four year max extension if he didn't want to stay around. I mean, obviously, he would not sign that if he wanted to be on a different team. Um, and players don't trade their way out in the first year of a four year contract. And they usually don't trade themselves out until at least the third year of a four-year contract. So Donovan's going to be here for the next couple of years. Nobody needs to worry about that. Um, as far as what's going on in the front office, I think um, front office changes were kind of inevitable. I think that's what happens when you have new ownership and you bring in new people um, into the Jazz. And I think um, Ryan Anderson or Ryan Smith is creating um, some pathway for other people that can help in the front office. And I think that's a good thing for the jazz. Ryan Smith is totally all cards in looking at the jazz and he wants us to be a championship team. He wants us to win. So he's doing everything he can. Um, Dennis Lindsay got us from a really bad spot to a really good spot. So we have to give a lot of credit to Dennis Lindsay and he's still going to be around in in an advisory role. And I think he'll help in that role. Um, But I think we're at the point where, you know, we're not rebuilding anymore. We're trying to get a championship. And so I feel like you kind of need different personnel in the front office. Um, that might come up in the form of Danny Ainge or um, Shane Battier's name has been thrown around coming into the front office. So I think, you know, there's there's going to be some front office changes and we'll probably find out about it sooner than later. And um i think it means that the jazz are just all cards in and these next couple of years are the years we want to win and putting certain guys in your front office certain guys that have experience with players around the league that have um ties to different coaches to different organizations and to different players i think putting those guys in your front office sets you up to get big names in your city and to set you up for a championship Yes, this ownership, I think, is really trying to change the culture. And that obviously has to start with the front office. I think Dennis Lindsay really helped the Jazz get to a point uh, where they're at now. And I'm really excited to see, like you said, Shane Batty, like, that dude's a legend. I love that guy. I I grew up loving that guy and playing 2K, and you can just talk up threes <laughs> with him. You know they're going in. Um, yeah, I, I just think that with, with Dwayne Wade and Ryan Smith, they're really trying to take this organization to the next level. And I think they're trying to gain attractiveness, not only to like players around the league, but I think to just everyone around the league and no matter what um, role or position they're in. It's it's just been interesting after that crushing game six loss against the Clippers to just see the league's reaction to what they think is going on with the Jazz. And like you said, some of it has just been dumb and weird and just not relevant, especially with the Donovan information. The big news, obviously, that is true is, is will we bring Mike Conley back? And from what it was reported from this past week, the Jazz are just going to make a lot of efforts to try and get him back. And I think, it, obviously, if nothing dramatic has changed, I know a few months ago in a press game conference, he said just how much he's loved his time in Utah 
He felt like this was the exact move, right move for his career. And we've talked about it before in previous podcasts where Mike Conley has got to, especially if they want to make a championship run, I think they have to keep him. Even with those nagging injuries that come, especially with this last year, he he missed a quite a few games. But when Mike Conley was at his peak level this last year, it was insane to see the difference between the year before when he didn't really mesh well with the Jazz offense to now where he's really playing a really pivotal point in what they're doing. Um, there has been more trade talks, obviously, with the offseason for the Jazz. One that in, one that I don't agree with, but one that has intrigued me is one about Kevin Love coming to the Jazz. So, would you have a take? Have you seen that trade? Do you have a take on it? So I don't think that would come in the form of a trade. I think that only comes in the form of a buyout where the Cavs buy Kevin Love out and he becomes a free agent, at which point he's already making a lot of money. So he just wants to sign with a contender. I think Kevin Love could be a positive for the Jazz. Imagine Kevin Love in George's Niang's role. Um, I mean, he's a better rebounder. Kevin Love's a really good rebounder. I think that should be said. Um, Kevin Love also gives you flexibility to play a little bit of small ball. And if you want to go with a small ball five for defensive or offensive purposes, Kevin Love helps you there. Um, at the end of the day, though, Kevin Love, he hasn't had a great couple of seasons since LeBron left, um, since LeBron left Cleveland. And um, I mean, it might be just like a Blake Griffin thing where he just hasn't been trying or he might just kind of be done. So He's definitely a name to watch. Um, the Cavs are a really interesting team to watch this offseason because they have a really good draft pick. They have a lot of young pieces that they might try to move. They have certain free agents that they can re-sign. And I think a Kevin Love buyout is very possible. I would like Kevin Love on the Jazz. Um, I think he'd, if he was like our eighth or ninth man, I think he would do great for a couple of years as long as we're not paying him too much. Yeah, I think if he does sign a, a minimum contract, that could help out a ton. My my big concern was that looking back at the, especially the last series, I was really wondering if the Clippers had found a way to expose something that was wrong with the Jazz, something that was a lot bigger than maybe what us as Jazz fans or fans around the league initially thought about them, um, especially coming in terms defensively. I, I would really like to see them sign or pick up a, a guy that can really defend the four, uh, the three or four positions down low. And I think as re really as much as Kevin Love would be good for that, I think, like you said, like that Niang spot in terms of scoring, which I think would help us out tremendously on the offense. I don't know if he would help us out defensively that much defending the three and the four, which again, I think it's a move that could, like you said, that could happen. And I think, it, there there are a lot of pros to this, but there are some cons as well that might kind of make me step back a little bit. But there's been a ton of trade talks with these with this Jazz team. A lot of them have been questionable because I think, especially what we talked about with that last conversation with how Donovan's feeling about the Jazz and how you know he doesn't want to suit up. And now they're like, well, let's just trade. Like I saw, I like you said, I saw another Instagram post. It's like, well, let's just trade uh, John Collins and Kevin Herter and like a bunch of draft picks to the Jazz, and they can give us Donovan. It's just insane at this point. And I think I think until all of this news dies down, we'll see a lot more realistic trades, free agent signings with this Jazz team. Are there any in specific 
that are you're really excited for with the Jazz or that you'd really like to see? Well, looking at the Jazz roster, um, I think one big piece that we're, we might try to move that we should be moving is Derek Favors. I love Derek Favors as a person. I love that he decided to come back to the Jazz. He showed nothing but loyalty. And honestly, I'd feel a little bit bad if the Jazz decided to trade him again. But at the same time, we're paying him $10 million. He was not worth $10 million um, this entire season. He had good games every once in a while, and he had some good playoff games. I think, especially in that Memphis series, he did great stuff. But Derek Favors, just I just feel like he's not the backup center you need right now. And I think um, the Jazz are going to look into getting a good defensive center or a small ball center, something that gives you more flexibility. Um, and I think, I kind of think that's one piece that you got to watch. Um, other pieces, I think Joe Ingles might be out there. Um, I also think Jordan Clarkson has really good trade value. And I know I kind of mentioned this, Jazz fans aren't going to like the prospect of trading Jordan Clarkson. But, I mean, if it helps us win in the future and if it helps us become a better playoff team over a better regular season team, then I think you take it. And I think you got to go um, all cards in on trading Jordan Clarkson. At the same time, he is an incredible scorer off the bench, and you're not going to find that production anywhere else. So, I mean, trading this Jazz team, like trading anybody on the team, it kind of like the prospect of it sucks after you had such a good season. Um, I mean, you came up short in the playoffs, but you're like, you're looking at the jazz. How can we really improve? And those are hopefully the questions that are being asked in the front office right now. And I'm sure they have plans. I'm sure they're looking at certain guys to sign. Um, I also think we just need more depth. Um, one name I saw yesterday that I like is Doug McDermott. And Doug McDermott's been playing for the Pacers for the last couple of years. He has a connection with Bogey. Um, I think if he comes in, he's a great shooter. Um, he's a decent defender. He's really improved at driving to the basket. He's just become a more flexible player than he was in years past. And I think adding him into this Jazz roster, having him be like your eighth or ninth man um, would be a big bonus. I think he's also a capable defender, but he's not like the elite defender we're looking for. So. I feel like you kind of still got to find those guys. Um, I'd mentioned that OG Ananobi trade. I don't think that's going to happen because the Raptors got a really good draft pick, and I think they could be in playoff contention this next year. And OG Ananobi is obviously crucial to that. Um, but if the Jazz can find guys like OG Ananobi, um, then it's going to be a successful offseason. And if you can't, then, you know, it's kind of this season or bust. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think we've talked in previous episodes about jazz chemistry. And I think this is an organization that really prides itself in that in terms of when they bring players in, they really want to have really good team chemistry. I felt like they've done that over the past, geez, I want to say maybe three or four years. They found teams that really like playing with each other, which I think is awesome. I think that's what makes jazz fans feel the way that you're feeling in terms of, well, I think no matter what happens with trades, it's obviously just going to hurt a little bit because of how much we've grown to love this team that performed really well in the regular season. So moving closer to football season, we'll have a little bit more football talk, which is awesome. I'm excited for fall to come because then we'll be able to talk a lot more football. 
which is super exciting, even though neither of us really play football, but we love watching it and we'll keep talking about <laughs> it. Uh, something that caught my eye, ESPN's FPI just came out, um, which is for those who are unaware of what FPI is. Basically, it's predicting the results of each game of the football season. Basically, the uh, gr- the chance you're going to win a game. So Utah was favored in nine games. I don't know. Have you seen Have you seen this yet, Richie? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Okay, I was surprised by at least one of these teams that they predicted Utah would not beat, and that was, of course, their rival BYU. They said that Utah had a 47.5% chance of winning this game. Uh, a few weeks ago, I also saw that uh, a West Coast football account had basically come out with a, a preview of this game and kind of looked at the similarities and differences between all of the uh, different core lineups. So it compared, you know, the wide receiver group, the offensive line, the quarterbacks, the running backs, right? It just shows the different positions and says, okay, well, who has an edge? And it's just... I don't want to be like that kind of rivalry fan because I don't think I am, but there's just been something bothering about how it, they're making it seem, I think a lot more in BYU's favor than I think it should be. I think a lot of teams, a lot of people, college football fans are looking at last year. And again, BYU's football team last year was awesome. They had amazing players. A lot of them went to the NFL. They had a great season. Utah on the other hand, because of COVID struggles and everything, a brand new defense, basically uh, a brand new, just everyone was brand new yet. They still kind of had, I feel like those last three games really showed what they were capable of. I think this is an entirely new season and it really shows maybe what could happen coming up in this next 2021 college football season. I'm excited to see what happens, but this one was bothering me just a little bit. Do you see any chance of, do you, do you agree with this FPI? Do you not? What, what is your stance on this? Um, I mean, I agree with most of the games. Um, I, I do too. I do too. Like I, the USC Oregon's, like I could easily see us losing both of those games. The BYU game does not make sense to me though. Um, and, you know, a lot of that is because of the differences in rosters. And I mean, BYU, like you said, they had a successful season last year. They were great. Um, but they also sent a lot of guys to the NFL and they sent their best player to the NFL. You look at the Utes, we didn't send a lot of guys to the NFL. We sent no one. (laughs) We kept our best players, and our best players are going to have a really good season and then go to the NFL. And I think that's a big thing to to watch. Um, I think looking at this Utes team, you know, um, it's overall kind of a young team, but at the same time, you're pretty experienced. Um, And you have a lot of guys that are going to be really good. You also have more athleticism. You have better coaches. Um, you have, I mean, the talent gap is obviously there. Anybody that argues against the talent gap is just blind to statistics and ratings. Um, how many four stars does BYU have versus how many four stars does Utah have? And I mean, I think it's obvious um, looking at that, looking at future recruiting, that Utah, there is a talent gap between Utah and BYU. So I kind of don't understand this. FPI and and why um they decided that BYU is going to take this game. I mean, it is at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Maybe that factors into it somehow. But at the same time, this Utah team, they're going to start out and they're going to come out running. And 
I think this Utah team has a lot of potential and they have a lot to prove and they have a lot of experience, especially with the transfers we got from the transfer portal. And BYU had some success there, but I don't think they had nearly the success that Utah had in the transfer portal. And I think Utah has more options and overall we're just going to be able to throw them around. I don't, I don't see this game being super close, but what do I know? Yeah. I, I see this game going as how it went in 2019, but it was really, like you said, the talent gap is just so apparent now. I think because of how Utah's consistently played, Kyle Whittingham was just voted by Sports Illustrated as like the number seven coach in the nation, which is very impressive. Uh, and I think BYU's mindset has, has definitely altered to a place where they really want to beat Utah now. There was a, a post of a, one of a, the BYU coaches they were talking with the guys from uh, BYU Sports Nation, and they were saying that, you know, if if BYU lost every game, but they beat Utah, is that a successful season? And this is a coach, and he was like, he's like, yeah, that that's the only team I want to be like. If we lost every team, but or if we lost every team, but we beat Utah, that is a successful season. <laughs> I just don't see any coach from any other program in the country that can say, if I went one in 11, that is a successful season. Like if Oklahoma said, yeah, we, we lost to everyone, but we beat Texas. That's a successful season. That just doesn't really happen. Like no one would say that, which, which really boggles me. I think that's where BYU is at now, especially after losing for the past decade, but Hey, BYU beat Utah a ton of times while Lavelle Edwards was there. So I think it's really just taking, they're taking their turns, but I agree with you. I just think it's just too different this year in terms of talent and I think with a lot of these guys coming in from the transfer portal, even though we lost a great running back in Ty Jordan, we have a lot of depth of those guys that we picked up in the transfer portal from really big time schools that just didn't get the playing time because they were at the prominent programs in the country. So I'm excited to see what happens. Obviously, we'll have a lot more to talk about when um, fall camp starts coming up really soon. I think we're only like 50 something days out from the season, which is super exciting. Bigger college football news. I really wanted to get your take on this. They're talking about expanding the college football playoff. And they're not only going to expand it to eight teams, but it's very well possible they're going to expand it to 12 teams. I wanted to get your take on, do you agree with, uh, if it did expand to 12 teams, do you like that? And if it were to expand to 12 teams, what is the system you would like to see? How would you like to implement who goes, who doesn't go? So I was going to, I was going to mention that, that, um, I think it depends on the way that they do it. I kind of like the idea of an eight team um, versus 12 team, because I do think, um, I do think that there's an argument to be made that the less teams that are involved in the playoff, the more competitive the regular season will be. And so I kind of think keeping that group small, but competitive is, um, I don't know. I feel like that's the right idea. Um, as far as putting who in what, I think you put all the power, you put the conference winner of all the power five teams in. I think that's pretty obvious. And then I think you kind of, um, you have a committee that votes on who else should be in. Cause I think there's definitely a case for um, like a Clemson to be in every year or I don't know, a, a Notre Dame or an Ohio state. Um, if one of those teams has a conference winner, that's better than them. Um, but I think, um, I think overall, it's a really good idea and having a guaranteed spot for a Pac-12 team as a Pac-12 fan, I feel like 
that would and that would make me a lot more invested in the college football season and i feel like it honestly just makes the season more competitive because you know that the winner of the conference even if they don't have a perfect record they're going to make the playoffs um and i mean like at the same time you could argue that you know well teams aren't going to try to have a perfect record they're just going to try to win their conference um and it's going to take they're going to just blow some games because they've already won their conference. And yeah, that's, I mean, that's a fair argument, but I don't think you'll see a, as much of that as people think is going to happen. Overall, I th- I think I'd prefer an eight team versus a 12 team um, because, I mean, just keeping the field to play small, I feel like makes it more competitive as well as more interesting. Um, and I mean, got to get all those power five teams in and at least one BYU, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I agree with you. In fact, last year, uh, my last year of college, I actually wrote a huge essay about this because I was really concerned looking at last year's national championship game. I just thought, man, how boring has this gotten in this playoff where I'm just seeing the same four teams every year. And not only speaking as like a Pac-12 fan, but just as a general college football fan, I really wanted to see some different teams get there to the national championship. But obviously with that BYU team, there was talks of, okay, well, there's no way a G5 team can get in, which I believe is true. There wasn't really a way or a chance that any G5 team, no matter how undefeated they went, could get there. And made me think as a Utah fan, well, if you go back to the Mountain West days, where Utah was able to beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, maybe the greatest win in Utah football history, that, that game would not have been possible if it weren't today's modern college football playoff system with the 14 playoff. And so that really made me think in a G5 mindset, well, if I really want, I really want my team, like the the point of a season is to win a championship. Like you want to be the best team. And if there's a point where you get to saying, well, now my team has no shot. So why even play at all? If we're not even going to make it to the playoff, that's why I think an expansion was necessary. And I agree with you. I think an 18 playoff is perfect because then you have a power five automatic bid for each champion. And then the committee, obviously with, they can decide, the best G5 team. So you can always have a little bit of an underdog. Cause I feel like every year there is a G5 team that has a good underdog story, Absolutely. whether that's UCF, BYU, there's always that one team that really wants a shot. And I think, you know, why not give them a shot? I also think with an expansion, it helps the new year six bulls become a lot more important. Cause I know they've been switching each year with, you know, which bulls they use in the playoff, but now with an expansion, they can use all of them every year. And now they're really important. The 12 team playoff is insane because I'm looking at now you have, you have basically have another game at home for some, for the lower seeds. Basically everyone out of the top four has another home or away game. And that's going to be in December. So that's after your conference championship games and stuff. And then after that, then you have basically the two playoff games. I'm excited to see what they come up with because I'm pretty sure it's going to be apparent the other thing that really popped into my mind is there's a difference. Actually, I didn't know this until this last week, but the SEC only plays eight conference games. And the Pac-12 plays nine conference games, which is really big because that means teams like Alabama or LSU, they're probably scheduling more AA division schools or maybe some you know lower P5 or G5 teams. Meanwhile, while Utah plays another USC or Oregon or, you know, or even Cal or something like that, there's a very big talent uh, disparity. Do you think that they should strike? Because this isn't possible through a, a committee. 
But do you think it'd be possible that they have every Power 5 conference play the exact same amount of conference games? Do you think it's unfair that you know the Pac-12 plays one more? How do you see that going down? Um, I mean, I don't think I've done enough research to necessarily make an opinion. But just my first thoughts are, I don't think it's necessarily unfair. Um, I do think that that extra game they have that the SEC has against a lower opponent, I mean, it can be a good thing and it can also be a trap game for them. Um, I think that happens more often than than people think. Um, I just think that at the same time, like in the Pac-12, you're you kind of have a game like that no matter what because just the competition isn't always even. And sometimes you have, a, I don't know, sometimes Colorado's really bad or sometimes you have a Cal or a UCLA team that are really bad. And that it just kind of ebbs and flows like that. I feel like you always play one really bad team a year um, and then kind of the rest of the season is competitive. And you could say, well, in the SEC, they have – they're playing a really bad team. And then they also play that G5 team. They play that lower team. Um, I think at the end of the day, if a good team is really good, they win. And I don't think there's anything that really stops them. I think if they deserve to be in the college playoff, that they're going to win um, their conference and they're going to win all the games that they need to. And even if they don't win their conference, I feel like they will have built a strong enough resume. And I think that's where the committee is so important is because they're going to be looking at the resumes of these teams and they're going to see that the SEC is playing a G5 team while this Pac-12 team was playing another Pac-12 team that might have been decent. And I think that's something that's really important to consider when factoring who should be in the playoff um, conversation. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think it's that big of a deal. But at the same time, I can see why there's an argument there. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to see what news comes out because I'm pretty sure that the expansion will probably be playable by the 2023 season so so very soon and i'm excited to see that expansion because i think that'll bring kind of the excitement back uh and we'll see more than just sec teams um which is exciting to see as a pac-12 fan a lot of exciting news going down in terms of college football as we get near to the season obviously with the nba finals winding up we'll be able to have more news coming up in future episodes so make sure to stay tuned to that richie any final thoughts for us um not not a great time to be a jazz fan, but good time to be a youth fan. I like it. We're changing it up a little bit, but it's true. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Rach and I would like to thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Thatcher Effect. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to future episodes and invite your friends and family to join us on the ride on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you'd like to hear more about our episodes, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Thatcher Effect Podcast. We'd like to thank Money Wizard for the intro music and the Basketball Podcast Network for hosting us. We'll see you next week.